You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning, Pasco Vale. It's again another beautiful Sunday to worship the Lord. I hope you're all eager to learn what the Lord has in store for us today. Now, we are at the end of our How to Find Success series in 2024. And if you missed out on the other messages, I encourage you to uh, listen to online at our church website. Next week, we will begin the Roof series, and Mike will start us off with the very first message. Now, whilst learning how to succeed is important, the truth is we not always we will not always be successful, isn't it? Sometimes we will fail, and I think all of us in this room can confidently say that we've all been there and done that. At some point in our lives, it is quite rare that a topic like this can be so personal. And I dare say that because we are all here, that we've all overcome failure in some way, shape, or form. When we speak of failure, we generally think of our unfulfilled hopes and expectations. When our plans and goals don't come to pass, and I know because when I was young, I dreamed of being a fighter jet pilot and I never expected to end up being a property value instead. So before we begin, let's bow our heads in prayer and ask God to show us what he has for us today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for scripture and thank you for your word. We pray, dear Lord, that you will sharpen us, build us and train us in your righteousness and may the meditation of our hearts and the word that we speak today be wholly acceptable to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, failure leaves a very lasting and deep impression on you, doesn't it? That may continually affect your confidence, your joy, and sometimes it has a tendency to even leave a lasting mark on your person, your character, and maybe even the way you view life. Maybe like me, you look back on your life and you can remember many of your successes over the years. But when it comes to your failures, there's absolutely no doubt that we will remember every single time we have failed. Even things that have happened many years ago can still be so very vivid in our minds. And it makes us cringe and feel upset even today thinking about it. Things that we shouldn't have said, perhaps. Mistakes that we shouldn't have happened or made. Now, for many of us, failure is an all too familiar and painful topic. Now, when you watch interviews of some successful celebrities, you'll be shocked by how, just how many of them have actually failed and battled through it and came out on the other side. Now, remember this person? He's Sylvester Stallone. I've always thought that he was a very successful actor, but only when I heard the interview he gave about his journey from nothing to fame did I realize how tough his journey really was. Sylvester Stallone, in the start of his acting and filmmaking career, was only paid 200 US dollars for two days of work. And he got so bad that he was evicted from his apartment and even found himself homeless for several days. He had to sleep for over three weeks in the Port Authority in New York because he had no money to rent a place to live. 
One day, he went out to see Muhammad Ali fight Chuck Webner. Everyone was there to see the legend, but what he saw was pretty extraordinary. He saw a man called the Bayon Bleeder fight the greatest fighter who ever lived. And for one brief moment, the supposed nobody not only lost the fight, but actually knocked the champ down. This became his metaphor for life. It was at this image that inspired him to write the famous story behind the movie Rocky. You'd think that after that he would become famous and make tons of money. But you'd be surprised that Hollywood actually loved the script but did not want him to act in it as he was a nobody. They offered Stallone $360,000 for the script with the condition that he does not play the part of Rocky. At that stage, he had no car, $106 in his bank. He had to sell his dog to pay the bills. But he persevered, and the rest is history. It's certainly unbelievable, isn't it? What a story. What about this celebrity, Britney Spears? I grew up as a teenager listening to her music. For those who don't know who she is, she is an American singer often referred to as the Princess of Pop. And from a very young age, she was credited with influencing the revival of teen pop during the late 90s and early 20s. Britney Spears sold over 150 million records worldwide, making her one of the world's best-selling music artists at a very young age. But that didn't last very long. In 2008, she went through a devastating breakdown. Fame and success got to her head, and she started extreme partying and abuse of prescription drugs. We saw the courts give control of her life over to her dad. Friends, failure is inevitable. Failure is inevitable. Even the most successful people fail all have failed. So how should we perceive failure from a Christian perspective? How should we see failure as a Christian? Now in Paul's letter to the Philippians at the end in chapter 4, he gives us an insight into how he sees his failure. And I think we can see three things that can help us reinterpret our failure so that we see as God sees. So this is the lens that we want to look through in today's message because we want God's word to shed light on the tough topic that we have. Hopefully this will cause us to not run from failure, not to avoid it, but instead to view our failure through an entirely different perspective that will free us from it. A perspective that will even enable us to enter into and to face failure with confidence. Actually, it wasn't meant to be this way. In the very beginning, God created things to work. In Genesis chapter 1, as God creates, things flourish and multiply. But as a human sin in the garden and reject God, purposes for them, 
things begin to fail. As humanity breaks relationship with its creator, plans get frustrated, doesn't it? Things go wrong. What was designed to bring fruitfulness and life now brings frustration and death. Ever since then, failure has become part of the story of humanity. It means no matter how good you are, how capable you may be, how careful you are not to fail, you will fail. This is because of our failed relationships with our Creator. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, we see that Paul accepts failure. He knows how to be brought low. He knows how to abound. He knows how to have plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul's experienced it all. Failure and success in equal measure. Paul, the great apostle himself, was well acquainted with failure in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He recounts all his sufferings and failures he's experienced. He had imprisonment, beatings, stoning. He was even shipwrecked. If there's anything that would count as failure, that would be it. Now, of course, not every failure is the same, is it? Sometimes we fail for a lack of character. We are often our worst enemies because we sin and make mistakes. And so our failure is of our own making. Ask yourself that question. What pops into your mind? Now I wonder if that question would also expose something else, if it wouldn't just reveal your passions. But perhaps the things we know God wants us to do, but we don't have the guts to take a risk. So the first step in living with failure is to come to terms with your own failure, weaknesses and limitations. Of course, just because failure is inevitable doesn't make it any more fun when we do fail. So when it comes, you may have the following questions. First, what does my failure say about my God? You may ask, was this not God's will for me? Or doesn't he care? It's very normal to doubt God's purposes and care for us when things are not going our way, isn't it? Or sometimes we ask, what does my failure say about me? Did I do something wrong? Did I do something to make God angry with me? These questions are natural and can weigh heavy on our hearts, which is why we need to move to the next point. The failure isn't just inevitable, but failure is also necessary. It's not just that you will fail, but you must fail. In verse 11, Paul says to this church, that supported him through thick and thin as he currently suffers in prison under house arrest. He assures the Philippians, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So what has Paul's failures produced in him? 
It's contentment. Contentment is a beautiful, godly virtue because it forms in us a resilience for whatever the failure may hold. Contentment gives us a peace in the goodness of God and His plans for us, regardless, regardless of how tough it may be or what happens. You know, I'm sure we all want to be content. We all recognize it as an essential virtue to strive for. But how do you achieve contentment? How else do you learn unless you've experienced failure and lack? How else do you learn to be okay with every situation unless you've experienced every situation? Contentment cannot be learned in a day. It is forged through a lifetime of ups and downs, success and failure. Don't run from your failure because failure is necessary. It's the ingredient that builds contentment in our being. How does failure build contentment, you ask? Well, firstly, failure is liberating. In the workplace, there's a common struggle called the imposter syndrome. It's where we're afraid that we will fail and people will see us for who we are. We are afraid our bosses will realize that we aren't so clever, capable, or we've been out or we make ourselves to be. And we'll be exposed for the frauds that we are. At work, you may be scared of taking questions, speaking up during meetings because you're scared of being exposed as a failure. If you're scared to say something wrong, it's not a great way to live because, again, it makes us run from reality that failure is inevitable and that failure is necessary. And so it's freeing when we fail. Even we are seen for who we are, we can show the world how God works His power through weakness. It gives others permission to open up as well and to let others in. Because like Paul we recognize that this side of the new creation, we are still a work in progress. It's freeing. When you fail, it enables you to hold loosely to the things of this world. When you lose something important to you, like a good grade or school or uni or a promotion at work or having a successful business, it's only when you've lost something that you're able to view it, view it for what it was. It wasn't ultimate. It was only a gift. Only for a time. And so in failure, we find freedom in God-given limits. Secondly, failure humbles you. Paul is glad to admit every very, in very open, openly times of success and times of failure. It doesn't bother him because failure has produced in him a sense of humble contentment. As the saying goes, what doesn't break you only makes you stronger. And that is so true from my own experience. No doubt in my time, I've experienced failed relationships, damage to my career and reputation, but lessons can be learned from all of this. 
I would not become the person I am today if I've never experienced those things. I was just saying to my colleague at work the other day, I did not become good at managing difficult people overnight or I'm able to take the stress, the workload that I have naturally. It's all learnt. All learnt through failure and learning what works and what doesn't. You see, without failure, we are prone to think that we are untouchable. Pride takes a hold of your heart. We think we are more capable, stronger, better than we actually are. And often it's an experience of failure that brings us back to reality. So don't let your ego stand in the way of taking risk. Because failure will humble us. But you'll also grow in us a sense of contentment. Failure is necessary because it's sanctifying. It makes us more like Jesus. I mean, what if our failure doesn't conflict with God's purposes for us, but confirms God's purposes for us? And he has already promised this in his word. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, Jesus says, You're not above your master. Following me means following me into my suffering and worldly failures. If our master and Lord willingly entered a world of suffering, difficulty and disappointment, what makes us think your life should be any different? If that, in that way, failure reminds us we're not the central character in our story. We're just supporting actors to Jesus. He's the main character, and it's our job to make him look great. A word that's used often in the Bible is weakness. It's a word that communicates human failure, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. But what if what we see as weakness and failure in God's eyes, is actually power. Now, we don't know exactly what Paul was going through, but in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 Corinthians 12, he pleads three times, three times with God to take away the thorn in his flesh. But God doesn't take it away. Instead, he says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What if the very fa failure we want to avoid are the very means by which we experience God's grace and become more and more like him? Paul says that we will gladly boast of his weaknesses so that the power of Christ may be seen through him. And because of that, he's content with weakness, insults, hardship. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Friends, don't run from failure. The temptation will be to try and protect yourself by never taking a risk. Next, we need to remember that failure is only temporary. Once you have failed, the hurtful experience gives us cause to run from it because it's painful and leaves us exposed to more. 
That's why if we are really going to embrace risk and be willing to fail, we need to know that failure isn't just inevitable, it's not just necessary, but that failure is only temporary. There's another saying that if we are drowning and we hit rock bottom, the only other way is up. Now when we do fail, there is a right time to grieve to be disappointed and frustrated. You see that all true Psalms in the Old Testament, most of them are laments. There's even a whole book in the Old Testament called Lamentations, where we lament, we are crying out to God in circumstances of deep distress and failure. And true, it's good and healthy for us to do this for a time. It's not good for us to constantly linger on it. The good news is that it is not ultimately where we will end up or where we will stay. In verses 24, uh, verse 12, it says, Paul says, he learned the secret of how to face plenty and hunger, abundance and need. The secret is in verse 13. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. It's a phrase you're probably familiar with. We like to print this verse on the back of coffee mugs that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, isn't it? Now, as we normally think this as to mean the possibilities are endless. You can do anything you want to do. You can do anything you want to You can be whatever you want to be. The problem with this sentiment or this way of thinking is that we are thinking more about success than failure. It's in a proper context. Paul here is talking more about enduring failure than he is about celebrating success. Paul's secret to contentment in failure and his hope in Jesus is to be in Christ in every single situation. That's how he has a sense of contentment. Paul's strength through the whole letter comes from his knowledge of the future. He says in chapter 1, to live in Christ and to die in his gain. Because being with Jesus to him is far better than his own life. In chapter 3, Paul fixes his eyes on the end. He says that by any means necessary, he wants to know Christ. Sharing his sufferings that by any means possible, he may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now friends, I wonder, what about you? Now Paul is able to live very comfortably with failure because he knows one day that failure will give way to a glorious new existence, a new existence in Christ. You know, there are different ways to cope with failure, isn't it? You know, some say, lower your expectations and you'll never be disappointed. Or just detach yourself from the world and care less. But instead, Paul is anything but detached. In fact, his passion doesn't decrease, they actually increase. He weeps for people who have walked away from the faith. 
He feels his suffering and feels very deeply. Friends, the secret isn't detachment. It's fulfillment in something greater. At the end of chapter 4 in verse 18, Paul says, even though, even through lack and imprisonment, he is well supplied. Why? Because my God will supply my every need of yours according to his riches in glory. But the most important thing he says is in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ Jesus. It's Paul's all-consuming desire and satisfaction in his relationship with Christ that ultimately sets him free from a fear of failure and suffering. And so now, failure has only made him more consciously dependent on Christ and his power and longing for the new creation and longing for the glory where he sees when he's finally in God's arms. In conclusion, even though failure is inevitable and necessary, it doesn't need to define us. We don't need to constantly look back on them and cringe and live life of regret. Because one day, one day Jesus will come to bring us to himself. And we will be defined by his success alone. Not our successes, not our glory, but his glory. So this year and beyond, as a church, let's take some risk. We want to be ambitious for the gospel to reach out not just to our city, not just to our suburbs, not just to our country, but to the ends of the earth. We want to take risks for Jesus because we think he's worth the risk, isn't it? Our greatest failure is we take no risk at all. We stay where we are. We play safe. We keep everyone happy in this room. We run nice programs to keep everyone entertained. And then we die and we go to heaven. No. This is not what church is about. We want to do more than that. We want the whole world to come to know Jesus. And we should take risks. Because Jesus is worth it, isn't it? Some risks, by God's grace, will go well. Some, by God's grace, will not. But that's okay. That's okay. Because failure is inevitable. It's necessary and it's temporary. The question is, will you join us? Will you enter into this mindset with us to take risks for Jesus Christ? As we come to the end of our series of redefining success, I hope you can see that success in Jesus' eyes looks very different from that of the typical world that we are familiar with. We wanted to take our time with this at the start of the year because it, starts, it sets us in motion, a mindset, and the right direction for our heart and to free us to take risks for God and for Jesus.
So would you join us this year, my friends, in asking God what risk you might take for his glory this year? What risk you might take for God this year? Not for my glory, but for his glory. Risks that are worth it. Because Jesus is worth it. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, challenge us, teach us, train us, give us a willingness to be willing to step out of our comfort zone. Stretch us. Guide us. Lead us as a congregation, as your disciples, as your members of your church to take risks for you. They had the mindset to be daring, to be bold, to take the gospel beyond these four walls and to the ends of the earth. We don't know what your calling for each one of us will be for 2024 and beyond. But we pray, dear Lord, that you challenge each of our hearts, that we will not be content just to sit where we are to wait for heaven to arrive, but to be challenged to go out to make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that you have commanded us. And you promise that you will be with us to the very end of age. Lord, help us embrace that promise and that gift. And let us not be afraid to take risks for you. Because those risks are certainly worthwhile. To God be the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.